if all you have is the loss, then you lose because you're grieving in hopelessness rather than grieving in hopefulness. The Bible says we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Hope is an expectation about the future, that there is something out there to which I aspire that goes beyond the tears that I'm shedding right now. It is false spirituality to say that you do not grieve, but it is erroneous if grief is the final end of the story. It is not, particularly when you know God, have placed faith in Christ and have an expectation about a reunion that is to come in the life that is to come, which is what the good news of the gospel offers to all. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and I'm super excited to share today's episode with you, and I think you'll get a lot out of it, whether you are a Christian or not. My convo today is with a legendary Dr. Tony Evans and his son, Anthony Evans. Many of you will recognize Dr. Evans, but for those who aren't familiar with him, he is the founder and senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas and author of over 100 books, booklets, and Bible studies. He is the first African-American to earn a doctorate of theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, and he has been named one of the 12 most effective preachers in the English-speaking world by Baylor University. Dr. Evans holds the honor of writing and publishing the first full Bible commentary and study Bible by an African-American, and his radio broadcast, The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans, can be heard on over 1,400 radio outlets daily and in more than 130 countries. Dr. Evans' sermons are also streamed and downloaded over 20 million times annually. His son, Anthony Evans, has emerged as one of Christian's most premier worship leaders and singers and songwriters. Along the way, Anthony has released 10 solo projects and the first two climbing all the way to number one on Billboard's top gospel album charts. In recent years, Anthony has been working in Los Angeles, where he appeared on NBC's The Voice, and his time on the show led him to being discovered and enlisted to perform and produce vocals for various major networks. His journey in LA has led him to think more progressively about his own music as he desires to communicate in terms that connect with people spiritually, no matter where they are in their journey with God, without compromising his own faith and message. You are really going to appreciate this dynamic duo as their energy together is infectious, and they are here to help inspire you to have faith even when life becomes challenging. In fact, this is a major pillar of the Evans family book that is due out in November, Divine Disruption, Holding on to Faith When Life Breaks Your Heart, which explores the many setbacks that we face in life and how God breaks through with the power of hope. This book is unique in that it is written by Dr. Tony Evans and his four children. They discuss their faith-shaking experiences from the deep grief of losing six loved ones in less than two years' time, with the most devastating blow being the death of Lois Evans, the matriarch of the family. 
Our discussion today is a deep dive into how to have faith during the various hardships and challenges that we all face and how Dr. Evans and Anthony were able to maintain such strong belief during a tragic time in their lives. We also chat about how to navigate through life's storms and turn your pain into purpose. We talk about the divide that exists between Christians and non-Christians and what can be done to help create unity. Dr. Evans and Anthony share how they've dealt with grief and were able to grow stronger as a family. We also get into how to have faith if you aren't a Christian and how shifting your perspective can make the biggest difference when faced with adversity. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Dr. Tony Evans and Anthony Evans to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Dr. Evans and Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Hey, glad to be with you. I'm so excited to chat with you both just for various reasons. Obviously, Dr. Evans, I was telling you before we recorded, your work has been very instrumental in in my life as, as a man, as my, in, my, in my walk as a Christian and just as a person of faith and, and Anthony just reading about what you're doing and, and this new book you guys have coming out called Divine Disruption, which essentially it's like this amazing encapsulation that was done by your family and, and really how to help people maintain faith during, during times of darkness, during times where really like they feel like they shouldn't have faith. And I think that's so relatable given to what everyone's been going through the last couple of years and just just the way it, like life throws you these curveballs. And I guess to start off, you know, both of you are pretty known for just professing faith in God and professing just this approach of just knowing that there's something guiding you no matter what you're going through. And then you have this massive setback in, in losing a big member of your family, obviously Dr. Evans, your wife and Anthony, your mom. And it, it just... It, I, it doesn't matter who you are. It can definitely, you know, create some level of, of fear, some level of sadness. So how were y'all able to maintain faith during that time? Or was there ever a, a moment where you questioned it? Well, I'll just say something real quick and I'll let my dad, cause I, I already feel like my dad's on here. So I don't want to talk too much because it's, it's, you know, Dr. Tony Evans is on here, but man, professing faith and, and holding on to faith when everything's good is one thing living it when everything went like south in, in our family's life, that's another thing. And I, th- now this, this book, Divine Disruption, it's all five of us, my, my three siblings and our, and our dad. And we all have a different way that we handled this. I'm the emotional one of the five of us. It's harder for me. My, my faith grip starts to loosen when I start to feel fatigued. That's my natural place because my, the fatigue sets in and it sets in pr- pretty hard. I was able to hold on because of the example that my parents set for me. When our mom, which was the, the, the family member, you know, losing any family members is, is hard, but, but there were eight family members we lost over the course of two years. Every six months we were losing somebody and it ended at the loss of our mom. I had to cling to the examples that were set for me as it relates to holding on to hope and faith by my, by my family because left, left alone, I would have given up, but, but having them around me is the same thing as putting in that last, getting that last rep in and having everybody in the gym saying, you can do this and, and you push it up and you're actually shocked at yourself. That's what was happening with me as it relates to my faith. Well, you know, it's, it's hard to pour a foundation in a storm. A lot of people want to run to God when the storms of life hit, who've never laid a foundation of a relationship. So the key is, to build a relationship with God so that when the storm comes, the life is not shattered because you've been stabilized by something you have set in motion in advance 
of the struggle and the trial. Many people get disenchanted with God when he doesn't come through in an emergency. And that's turning him into Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or, you know, he's there for special occasions only, not for an ongoing relationship with your creator. And so what I want people to do is to cultivate spiritual depth because, the, you know, the, the taller you want to build the skyscraper, the, the, the deeper you got to dig for the foundation. So we've been having skyscraper problems. You look at uh, the health pandemic with COVID, you look at the racial pandemic, political pandemic, economic pandemic, you know, pandemic on top of pandemic. And this skyscraper of trouble needs to be resting on a solid foundation. So what I want to challenge people to do is don't make God your emergency escape clause. Cultivate a relationship with him and let the trials that you are going through while you're still asking for help to go through them drive you to him relationally and not only for emergencies because then when the emergencies come your faith has already been stabilized the concrete has already been set and become solid so that you're not destroyed when life caves in yeah you're so right you were, you were kind of answering the question that you and i were talking about before we recorded about how what tends to happen is, and, and I was right there. I remember when I was in jail and I wasn't a believer then this was back in 2008. All I was doing was praying to God to get me out early. I was praying to God to save me, praying to God. And, and I was still right where I was. Right. And I was like, see, he's not real. And that's where I think a lot of people who aren't believers get tripped up is that, like you said, they don't have this foundation, but then when things go bad, they just want him to be like Santa Claus and pull him out of this hole. And it's like, you cut, you're kind of missing the boat on like why you're believing in what you're believing anyway. And so what are some things that, you know, if either one of you can answer this or both that, you know, you say you have a foundation you believe in your creator, you believe in Jesus, you believe that in faith that things are happening for you and things are going to get better. But during the thick of it, it's hard, even as, as believers, sometimes it's hard to like, be like, man, like, I know you've got me through every single one of these dark moments or I know that life happens for me, but during that time, it's, it's really hard to focus on that. So what are some things that, that you guys do when, when, when something like that happens and you're, you're in the thick of it emotionally to kind of get yourself out of it and, and focus more on the bigger picture? Well, no, I was just going to say, you know, as second Chronicles 20, there's a story about a man named Jehoshaphat who was surrounded with trouble and he was terrified. He was talked to, he was very much afraid. And he went to God in prayer, you know, and said, look, we got this situation. And then he utters these words. He says, and we don't know what to do. You know, things are bad when you have no options. And uh, every direction you look, you're being, you know, it's, it's caving in on you. But then he says, but our eyes are on you. And what he did in the middle of his uncertainty, fear, and frustration was he entered into praise. He prayed, and then he praised. And when he combined prayer with praise, it began to change the environment in which his trouble was found. It would be great if we could promise people, go to God and you won't have trouble. We can't promise that for every situation. What we can say is, go to God in prayer and praise and trouble won't have you. Okay, you may, you, you may have trouble, but it won't own you and, and become the dictator of your life. So prayer and praise stabilizes you in the middle of the madness and the messes of life. 
And and what I've had to realize, Doug, with my the way I'm a hyper emotional, and you'll hear me mention that a few times because I'm always coming from from that perspective, is that a lot of times, like you mentioned when you were in jail, you're like God, get me out of here, and then you know He didn't do it, so you're like, Yo, what's up? For me, I've had to realize that a lot of times I've asked God to deliver deliver me from something or ask me to like, God, get me out of here, deliver me from this. And his intent was to deliver me in it. His intent was for me to experience peace while I'm actually in what I'm dealing with. And the, that peace comes at a different level where you can watch everything around you going crazy. And for some reason you can hold on to faith and you can hold on to hope that has actually made my experience in, in growing spiritually and growing in my relationship with God, that has made it deeper to experience something holds you up while things around are, are going, going wild. And I, and I also have gotten to a point, our family just talks in analogies because we were raised by this, this man we're on here with. He just he talks in pictures so that that's all I know how to do. Right. But growing up, there's this movie for people our age, we know the, the original version of this movie and it's called The Karate Kid. There, there's oh, been yeah. new versions, you know, we know Daniel Sun, we, we know Mr. Miyagi, but I always think about a scene from that, this movie where he had, Daniel's son come in and he was wanting to learn karate, but he was waxing cars and painting fences. He had him wax on, wax off, paint the fence. We all, we all know that. And it was mundane and annoying. And Daniel was getting irritated. And there came a point where he complained to Mr. Miyagi and was like, yo, I don't want to paint any more fences. I don't want to wax any more cars. And at that point, you know, that dialogue happened and Mr. Miyagi threw a punch and the emotion of waxing that car was what kept that punch from hitting him. The motion from painting that fence when he threw another punch was what kept him from hitting him. And he realized that me doing all this mundane stuff was actually preparing me to fight. And I think what's hard, whether it's, I know that you're in fitness, that's your thing, I, wh yeah. whatever, it's hard to push past the mundane until you realize that this mundane is preparing you to fight. And that's what I've had to realize on a, on a spiritual level because the punches that were getting thrown at our family are globally, I mean, from specifically to the losses we had to everything we were corporately losing, there were punches, uh, blocks being thrown from the inside of me, excuse me, that I did not know were there until I started to face this stuff. And that, yeah. that encouraged me in my, in my faith. Yeah, you're so right. And I think it doesn't matter what your walk is. I think when you're faced with trials and adversity, it really comes down to just two perspectives. You can look at it and say, this is happening to me and woe is me and the world's against me and my life's going to continue to, to fall apart and get worse. And you know where that's going to get you. Your life will get worse because you're going to begin to make choices that are aligned with your vision of where you think you're going to end up. Right. And then there's the idea, like, like you alluded to that this situation, it might be hard because life is hard, but God is using this situation to allow me to grow, to allow me to grow stronger, to allow me to get better as a human being, maybe to meet a different person or to read a different book or to just know that I need to take better care of my health, health, whatever it is to grow into a better version of yourself. I mean, the, the Bible verse that sticks with me most about my life is, and I might be butchering the, when I say the verse, but it's Genesis 50, 20. And essentially, I guess the summary of the verse is that God intended to put me through pain so that I could use that pain to help other people. And I think when people see that there's purpose in the pain that they went through, right. Right. That there's, there's meaning in it. They're mm -hmm. able to, to attach it, to attach themselves to it in a positive way that allows them to, to, to use that 
in a way that actually betters themselves instead of it tearing them down. I mean, so if you guys could speak to that as well, because I know you guys talk a lot about that, like how somebody, if they look at some of the hardships in their life or a hardship they're going through can actually be something meaningful for them to help other people. Okay. You know, the first 12 verse, verses of James chapter one talks about trials. And it says, to count it all joy when you come into the multifaceted trials of life. He's not saying be joyful about the pain of the trial. He's saying be joyful about the purpose of the mm -hmm. trial. And so you use the phrase of uh, the purpose in the pain. When God allows things into our lives, they feel they may feel random, but they're not random. They're tied to something bigger. They're a piece of a bigger puzzle. If you only look at the piece and you give that all the attention and forget that there is a puzzle that God is crafting in your experience to grow you, develop you, to use you, to change you, and you begin focusing on God for the purpose while seeking his help through the pain, then all of a sudden your pain takes on a different perspective because you're viewing it differently. Mm. How, you, how you look at things will determine how you function. And if you look at them with the wrong eyes, you will see the wrong things and, you, and the pain will own you. So when we begin to look at life and make it part of this bigger thing, Romans 8, 28, all things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. When you see the purpose, then all of a sudden the pain becomes usable and useful, even mm -hmm. though it still hurts. Yeah. And, and when we talk about purpose, my dad says this, it makes me think about, I used to live in Nashville, Tennessee, and there was a weekend where I was going through a hard time, basically a broken engagement, had people in my life who had no business being there. It was a mess. And a friend of mine who has a degree in interior design back then, I didn't know you could have that. So congrats if any listeners have that. But she said, Anthony, I feel bad. I know you're about to get married, about to get your house all set up. So I'll set your house up while you're out of town this weekend. Just leave me with a key and a credit card. And I was like, okay, I was emotional. I didn't think about what that really meant. So I did, I did that. But when I came back, my house looked like the lobby of a hotel. And as I was looking at things, you know, to return a lot of them, I noticed this mirror on the wall in my huge, like big mirror. And I was like, yo, where did you get this from, Alicia? And basically I, the next day we went to went back to this place to return some things, but I wanted to go meet this guy who made this mirror. So walked to the back of this warehouse, dude, leather apron, tans all cut up. I was like, yo, I'm Anthony, Where, how did you make this mirror? It's beautiful. And he, came, he said, come with me. He said, look out right. the back window of my shop. Tell me what you see. And I was like, I see a burn pile, like a huge pile. You know, this is a country in Nashville, big burn pile and a shed. And he said, look closer, what do you see? And I was like, a burn pile and a shed. And he asked me one more time and I was like, yo, tricks are for kids. What are you trying to, what's the point? Like, what's the bottom line? And he said, if you look at that big pile that you keep calling trash, you'll see pieces of your mirror and pieces of everything else in this, in this whole showroom. Everything is made from that, what you're calling a pile of trash. And at, you know, at that moment, I was like, did you, are you, did you tell me yourself, are you telling me that you sold me trash? But I got over that for a second and I thought what I am looking at in my eyes, it looks like garbage, but there is a man standing right over my shoulder who sees a repurposing for all this stuff. He sees it very clear before it's repurposed, he sees it clear. And the crazy thing about that mirror is, is no matter where I am, it comes, comes with me. And when people come into my life, they always ask about that mirror. I can have a bunch of new stuff 
They don't mention that. They all say, where did you get that mirror? And because it's hanging in the living room of my house, I get to tell them about a man that I met that could take junk and make it into something beautiful. And that is what happens with when, when we allow God to come in and we, have, we take on his perspective when it comes to junk in our lives. We all got piles of junk in the backyards of our lives that we prefer nobody to see. But when that gets handed over to a master, they create something beautiful that we get to hang in the living rooms of our lives. And people come in and say, where'd you get that? And we get to tell them about them. That's what this book is. This book was built out of the trashiest scenarios that any family or anybody ever wants to go through. Now we have this. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, I was like that you're a good storyteller. As you were telling the story about the mirror, I was like thinking about it and I I was just putting myself in your situation and like in your emotions and how you were feeling. And and it's right. Like, it's like, there's a, there's like an, there's an old story. I don't know if it's from like a Tony Robbins book or something where there's like two sides of the room and he's talking about, he's like, there's one side of the room where, this guy goes to the party and on the, on the one side, he sees people crying and sees people like making fun of each other and having a bad time. And then you know, on the other side of the room, he's like, there's people laughing. There's people like hugging each other. There's people just having playing games and having fun. He's like, if you looked at that one side of the room the whole night, that's your, that would be your entire vision of the party really bad. Right. And yeah. if you looked at the other side of the room, you would see how good the party was. And it's like a lot like life. And like you just said, it's like, what are you paying attention to? And it, I think, you know, you don't want to be like optimistic all the time and be like, yeah, everything in my life is great because that's probably a little bit toxic, but you have to have an optimistic attitude to get through it, no matter what your belief is. Right. And I think that's the whole premise of the story you just said. And, and even Dr. Evans, the, what you were talking about, about like the purpose and the pain, it's just like, if you just solely focus on the pain and saying, this is horrible and this is happening to me, the worst thing in the world, and there's nothing that's coming from it. You're going to be very upset your entire life, if that's all you focus on. But if you can step back and say, there's purpose in this madness, even though it doesn't feel like it right now, I just know it's coming and just keep your belief strong, like then good things will happen. And I know a big part of y'all's journey together was like the grieving process. And that's something that I can't imagine how tough that was. Like both of my parents are still living and I haven't lost you know, a lot of people in my life as, as of late that are close to me. So I, I, my prayers and condolences go out to y'all. So what did that process look like? Cause there's a lot of people when, when family deaths happen or adversity strikes a family, it tears them apart, but it seems obviously like y'all have grown stronger together. So if you could just talk a bit like some tips on grieving and how y'all were able to make, th- make it through strong as a family. We will get you back to this episode of the adversity advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result, fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, You'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Well, you know, grief, grief comes with loss. Yeah. 
But even, even Jesus grieved, you know, he wept at the death of Lazarus. So, so grief is part of loss. But the beautiful thing about our faith is that we can look beyond the loss to the expectation of the future. Even when my wife was passing, she was looking beyond the loss. She, she, she asked me one day, how long would it take her soul to, to enter heaven when she passed? She was looking beyond the grave. You see, if all you have is the loss, then you lose because you're grieving in hopelessness rather than grieving in hopefulness. The Bible says we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Hope is an expectation about the future, that there is something out there to which I aspire that goes beyond the tears that I'm shedding right now. It is false spirituality to say that you do not grieve, but it is erroneous if grief is the final end of the story. It is not, particularly when you know God, have placed faith in Christ and have an expectation about a reunion that is to come in the life that is to come, which is what the good news of the gospel offers to all. Amen to that. Anthony, you got anything to add? Yeah, well, for me, everything, as, as you can tell, as we sit here and talk, my dad is a rock. Like he, I mean, it is, it, it takes him a matter of seconds to go from the, the reality of a, of a loss to what scripture says about it, what God says about it, what, and he can be there. I take a little bit more time to get from the reality of the loss because my emotions are huge. I know that you, we have listeners who are like my dad, who are just rocks, like, let's go. But I know a lot of people who are like, yo, but I feel nuts right now. Like I feel crazy. And what I had to learn, I'm, I'm a big, like, I'm trying to be brief with this answer, but it's such a, it's, it's, it's hard. Cause it's, it's the grief. It's the loss of our family. I had to learn the art of allowing emotions to come, not putting off emotions, not trying to be strong. And, and well, what we determine sometimes is strong or define as strong where you push emotions off. I had to learn the art of allowing the emotions to come allowing myself to feel them all the way through. If it's anger, let it come, feel it all the way through in a, you know, a respectful manner and not hurt, obviously not hurting anyone, all that stuff. But the natural, the natural emotion you will always return to if you have hope is joy. So I have hope because of my faith, but I would get stuck sometimes because I would try to push down my emotions and they will come out somewhere. You cannot, emotions don't just dissipate. They will come out somewhere. So I had to learn the art of that. And for me, an emotional dude like me, I'm a big football player looking guy, but sometimes I got the emotions of a, of a teddy bear. It's just, that's just what it is sometimes. Or, you know, just that, that soft heart kind of thing. I, I had to uh, really step into people helping me along the way also, like helping me figure this out. So when it comes to like, better regulating your emotions and, and, and riding through that in a more productive way, like other than leaning in on your faith, what have been some of your biggest tools to help with that? What will my, my biggest tool and, you know, faith is always going to be obviously always going to be the foundation because that's how right. we, because that's what we know. But my biggest tool has been therapy. Like mm. 
I think that there ain't nothing wrong with Jesus and a therapist. That is how my brain works. I had trouble in ninth grade algebra class. I had the most trouble. I had my hand up all the time. She was working out of a textbook with equations in it that were the truth. She'd write the truth on the board. She'd work it all the way out and she put equals and put the answer. And I'd be like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I don't know what is going on. And I had to get to the point where it was okay for me to go, I need tutoring. I need you to help explain the truth in this book and how you work out all these equations. I need tutoring for that. Or when the test comes, I'm not going to pass. So I have, I have really worked hard to get the stereotypes around therapy and my brain are gone. So I need tutoring emotionally. And that really helps to get practical ways to work out the return to joy. Mm. So. No, and I, and I, I've been to therapy a lot throughout my life. And I think, Hey, I'm thanks for speaking up and saying that. And I think there's this, this notion in the Christian community where like just Jesus will save everything. And I think he does, right. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I think, sometimes even in the, within the Christian community, there's like a stigma where you can't do anything else, but go to church. Like if you're doing something else, you're like breaking away from, you know, from God. And I, I don't agree with that. I think there is some room for, for therapy and other f- forms of healing because, you know, you get to a certain point where if something, something's not working and you need to adjust, like, I think that's just part of the plan that God has for you to, to pivot trust and then add in something else. I mean, would you agree with that? I would hundred. I know, Daddy. I'm gonna let you answer that, but yeah. I'm so pumped. I get so hyped when we start talking about this. Yeah. If Philippians four, if it says, "Be anxious for nothing," that is okay. I get that, but I need practical ways on how not to be anxious. There's nothing to me. It's like, okay, I don't. I don't even now that I've kind of looked into it. I don't understand what what the stigma is even about. If, if you know, what, if I want to learn practical ways to not be anxious, then. I mean, Dad, you can you can speak to it, but I it's been so helpful. Uh, the, the issue for me is the framework. You know, the Bible talks about giftings, and being able to exhort is a gifting. Some people can do that in a very practical and supportive way. The question is, what framework are they coming to it from? Because you can come to it from a crystal-centric Christian framework and offer practical advice to help. And you can come to it from a non-Christian framework. So if the framework that is the foundation of the help you are being given is Christ-centered and biblically sound, even though it reflects itself in practical steps to take uh, to help you overcome something, then it is a legitimate versus that which is illegitimate because it's psychological while at the same time being unbiblical. Right. Right. Now that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think intentionality is, is everything. And I think as long as it's coming across in a way that supports like your walk with God, I don't, I don't see like why people would be upset with that. Cause I mean, you're right. I think there's some, there's certain people that need practical steps. I'm one of them as well, where it's like, I can't just pray and, and journal and, and watch sermons. Like I need like some, some practical steps on what I can do when I have like an anxiety attack. And sometimes you know, I need to go to therapy and sometimes I need to lean on my friends that are better at it than me. And we're in a, we're in a divided space right now. You know, you, you mentioned, you mentioned the, the racial divide, there's the political divide, there's the, the health pandemic. But I think another one is like, I think people are divided amongst 
believers and non-believers, Christians versus non-Christians. And I just wish there was a way that when you told somebody that you were a Christian, if they weren't a Christian, they wouldn't cringe, which I think happens a lot now. Like, do you guys have any advice on how we could come together more just as a society, not just as Christians, but as believers and non-believers? Well, I would say, first of all, oftentimes we invite non-believers into our world where we are unwilling to touch them in their world. Mm. I think showing empathy, care, concern, compassion, where they are without compromise, builds a bridge that legitimizes our invitation to our faith. But when we stand on the other side of the bank and say, you ought to come over here, but I'm not coming over there. We, the, the Lord tells us we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to connect with society without being, you know, when a ship is in the water, you, you, it, that's okay as long as the water is not getting on the ship. So you want to, we want to be in the real world, but we do not want that real world to contaminate us. We don't want to be contaminated by the culture we're seeking to reach, but we should be seeking to reach it. I spend a lot of my time in Los Angeles working here quite a bit. And that's obviously not the Bible Belt where I was raised, but I have had the most, some of the most meaningful conversations, connections, authentic relationships, because I was willing to just go in and, and listen and hear somebody else's experience. This is the first time I met people who were like, church, what are you talking about? I've never donned the doors of a church. I've never like that. And hearing that experience and being truthful and honest and authentic opened up a conversation. I, I'm just agreeing with what my dad's saying of going in and not having the intent of, I'm about to tell you how wrong you are. Like, that's wild. You know what I mean? That's a wild thought, but we do that very often. Yeah, I think you both hit the nail on the head, like the ability to have compassion, empathy, and a non-judgmental conversation with the person on the other side that we may not agree with, right? We may not like necessarily agree with the way somebody's living their life or the choices that they're making, but you're still treating them like as a human first and like really getting to know them on a deeper level. And then like, you know, just by your actions, they'll be more drawn to you. Like, like I remember when I first became a Christian, I was so like, I, I treated it like a, like I'm a trainer. I treated it like a, like a bench press, like getting stronger. I was like, how do I become a stronger Christian? How do I become a better Christian? And one of the pastors at my church just sat, sat me down and he just like, just don't be a jerk. And that was like the easiest thing he said to me. And I was, he was like, you know, you can read all the scripture you want. You can come to church, but if you're still a jerk to people, like that's not how Jesus lived. And I, and that stuck with me because we try to overcomplicate it. Not that you, you shouldn't read scripture in my, or go to church, but like if at the foundation you're, you're treating other people like crap, mm -hmm. like people, there's going to be this, this disconnect, which I think exists where they there's people they see going to church and, and doing the Christian thing, but then behind closed doors, they're just, they're just mean to people. So like, do you, in your experience, Dr. Evans and Anthony, you can chime in too, like, like being a Christian, being a man of faith or a woman of faith, like like, do you need to go to church or is it, or, or you can just, is it the way you live your life or is it both? Like, I mean, what, what do you think is more important? Well, it's, it's a both and it's not an either or the, the one another's of scripture are specifically designed to bring believers in fellowship and connectivity with one another. Mm -hmm. But we're also called to be impactful to the world. So we're called to build up the body 
and we're called to be infectious in the society. So you don't choose the society over the church or the church over the society. You go in church in order to leave church so you can be the church in the world. Absolutely. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's so true. Like there's, I remember when I first became like open to the idea of becoming a Christian, there was just certain people in my life. There was just something, a di- there was something different about them. And it wasn't even if they were like happy. I could just tell like with the, their aura and the way they treated people. And I was like, they're so nice. Like, why are they so nice to people all the time? Or why are they like, so they, they seem to have this belief about themselves or what's going on when things just don't look like they're going that well for them. And I just started to pick up on that. And I think people will pick up on that. And it's, like you have to kind of do both things. Like you have to be involved with growing as a better Christian and being involved in the community and reading the Bible. But you also have to make sure that like what you're doing at home and how you're treating your, your kids and everything else kind of aligns with that. So what, like, so I want to get on the topic of faith again, because I know that's a big topic of your book and maintaining this sense of optimism and knowing that God is, is looking out for you when um, you're going through tough times. Like, what about like non-believers? Like, what advice would you have for them if they're going through a really hard time right now and maybe they're not ready to, to lean in on God so that they can have some level of, of faith that things are going to be better than they are today? Well, you know, one of the things that, that, that we should be doing is be, being the hands and feet of Jesus. So that when people lean on us, they are in fact leaning on Jesus and just don't know it yet. <laughs> so because we are being so winsome in helping them walk through their pain, we're, we're, we're showing love, caring for their well-being. When we do that, even if people are not ready for God, they're usually ready for help and for hope. Mm. And if you offer them help and hope, that opens the door for offering them the Lord. Yeah, and what I would say is, you, as you mentioned, the, un, the unbelievers, I, I feel like if you're in a scenario where the waves of life are drowning you, they're crashing on you, I am like, in that moment, will you just try a, a life raft called faith and God? Like, will you, will you try that? Because I know some people who are listening to you are opposed, have never, this is not their thing. They've been treated bad by church. They've been treated bad by people who are in church, all that stuff. It is like, I have, I can say this so confidently because of what I have been through with what we talked about as as it relates to this book. There has been hope and peace and joy given to me by the hands of God in my life that I want you, if you're listening and do not believe this, to try him out. Because if I can get pulled out of the the depression I've been in, if I can get pulled out of the anxiety I've been in, I would want to offer you that. And, and I and I humbly offer you that. Like I'm humbly like try him out. This isn't an agenda. This isn't come and be another number at a tra- I'm not trying to do that. I'm just like I would encourage the 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 non-believer here to just give God a try because I'm telling you, my head got kept above water because of that. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you. And I think that's some really good advice. And one of the things I've kind of told people is 
like, let's just say you, you believe in God and let's just say you get to the end and you die and, he, and you don't go to heaven. He's not real. Like you're dead. doesn't matter. Like you, at least you believed that things were going to be better for you moving forward in your life. And, and it's true. It's like, what's the worst thing that happens, right? What do you, have, I, to lose? It, yeah. what do you have to lose? Cause it's people, you never hear people say a bad word about Jesus or God. It's normally like the, the Christians or the church that maybe has some way done them wrong, or maybe they had disagreement. And that's why it was, I was, I wanted to ask that question about how do you unify people? Because like, that's the way to, to create that bridge for deeper relationships with people is to be able to have empathy and compassion for people you don't agree with or people that who live, who live a different life. And that's just honestly, like for us to come back together as a society, like that's kind of what needs to happen overall. And, and I want to talk about it in the lens of your family, because I, I hinted on that, like a lot of times when families go through financial stress, they go through death, they have, they go through emotional and mental turmoil. It tears the family apart. There's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration, but like I said, y'all seem to really keep it together. Yeah. What were some of your best practices? Like as a family, like, was there certain boundaries? Was there like certain times where you guys would, would meet and do something fun? Like what were some things you, that y'all did to keep that family unit so close? Well, I'll answer as a kid first. And then daddy, do you care, mm -hmm. dad? I, I'll answer this. I just think, because as man, now looking back, and that's what happens when you get older, you know, you just look <laughs> back on everything comes clear. But man, my parents were so intentional about reminding us about the, the value of family, whether it was having dinner around the table every night, that, that, that was huge, actually. With all the craziness, I wish I could give you all a snapshot of how crazy life was with four kids running all over the place. And my dad had a ministry that was growing. My mom was running that and running the house, but we would always make sure we sat down at the table. We would always make sure my dad, I know now he didn't feel like wrestling with us on the floor after coming home at 7.30 from the office. He didn't feel like that, but he would do that. He would intentionally try to engage in the things, you know, I was real big into horses and stuff growing up. He didn't want to know anything about some horses, but he would make sure he took me there and and would watch me ride or whatever it was. He, he made those intentional steps toward making sure he was involved in family. And he defined family to us as at the end of the day, when careers are over and think people have moved on from you singing wise and all that stuff, family is what you have. He used to look at me and say, this is the only brother you have. Basically, if you had a one of a kind diamond, how would you treat that? That's the bottom line. And when you look at family as this is my one of a kind experience, you treat things different. The value of things naturally goes up when you know it's one of a kind. And, and, and the effort that it takes to upkeep something when it's one of a kind, you don't mind that effort as much because of, because of its value. So I've just, I just want to commend my dad and my mom publicly on how they, they raised us. Not everything was perfect, but they, man, looking back, I'm like, yo, y'all are beasts. Well, you know, even today, we, we, we stay connected. We have dinner once a month, all of us, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. But this comes out of the history of us being around the table together. When Before COVID, we had breakfast every Sunday together. In addition to the one Sunday a month, we took vacations together annually. They're always over each other's homes, enjoying one another. So we are very intentional about connectivity, even to the point of getting on other folks' nerves. I mean, that's what we do because we were raised to believe that family is the centerpiece for 
stability, well-being, and for the future. And so we tried to instill that. They picked that up, transferred it to their kids. And that, and so through our grief, we have stuck together because we have been together. I think we currently still all have a key to, key to our parents' house and we just show up. On Much to my chagrin. <laughs> well, that's, it's, it all comes back to what you said towards the beginning of our conversation about the importance of having this foundation. Like the reason that y'all are able to be so close now and be able to have these connections is because you've built this strong foundation throughout, throughout your life. And, and now it's just, this is just an extension and reflection of that, which you know, kudos to, to you guys for being able to, to maintain that, you know, through, through y'all's lifetime. And, and I guess the last question I have, and it, and it relates to this is like, I think another thing that trips families up is when they re, when they hit conflict and the, the emotions are high and someone's angry at somebody. And Anthony, you've said you're like the hyper emotional one. And, and Dr. Evans, you're like the rock. Like, so if, if, if somebody's like, you know, fighting with each other and y'all are like, are angry, like, have you guys come up with some strategies in order to, to help one another kind of cool down so that way you can come back and, and have a logical conversation? Well, you know, every fight, there's a referee. So they call me the referee to fight. <laughs> I got to like pull people apart and talk to this one and talk to that one. But we have a relationship, even if there's some tension for a while, we get over it. We get back together because again, family trumps conflict. Yeah. That, and by, by pulling people apart, he means Anthony and whoever he's having an issue with. That's, <laughs> that, that's pretty much true. That's pretty much true. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's just the, what, what my dad says, that the value of the value has been set so high right. as it relates to family that you don't want to do anything to destroy that. And I also want to say to any of, of, of anybody who's joining us today that is like, well, I don't have that foundation. I don't have that. So what do I do if I don't have that? It's never too late to start that. Like, I don't want people to think you got to start this when you're eight years old or it's never going to happen. You you can do it now. I'm a big HGT guy, HGT, uh, HGTV guy. Sometimes I watch it and think I can actually do that. But the bottom line is, is before every renovation, there's a demolition, but there's there's a renovation that, that can happen. And de demolition of, of ide ideologies and the way family is now and the way we treat each other now, it's, it's a lot of work, but renovations can happen. First, you got to own it. You got to do the work it takes to own whatever that scenario is that you need to work out, but you can demo it, you can renovate it, and you can make it into exactly what you want it to be. Even if you didn't start, like we, we started around the table as kids. Yeah, God can hit the bullseye with a cricket stick. So start where you are. And let's watch him take some lemons and make lemonade. I love it. I love it. I love that. Uh, the renovation analogy, like what do they say? The other one is like, you know, there has to be darkness before there's light. Like you think about it, the sun has to go down before the sun can come up. And I'm a thoroughly enjoyed talking to both of you today. So divine disruption, it comes out in November and it's available for pre-order now. Yes. It's available everywhere right now. And we're excited to be, to, to be able to, to do this project. Awesome. Well, I will make sure to, to plug the link for the book in the show notes. Cause everyone's going to want to definitely go check it out. Whether you're a believer and you want to strengthen your faith and learn how to really harness your relationship with God during the tough times and learn more about how to do that and really learn more about the Evans family and, and you know, how, what kind of amazing people they are and how they've been able to use some of the darkest moments in their life and turn it into something magical or whether you're a non-believer, I think this could be helpful for you too. And just peruse through the book and just see what you can get out of it. I think no matter what, you're going to get something out of it. 
that will change your your mindset that'll help you believe more that will help you like really learn more about like tough times and how they can make make it how you can make it into something great if you choose to so if people want to connect with with each of you individually where can they do that you know what they can go they can go to divinedisruptionbook.com and if they go there it gives you a, a specific link to each individual in our family so so to keep it simple divinedisruptionbook.com and it's a breakdown of all five authors. We're talking to two today, but our sisters, Priscilla Shire, Crystal Hurst are on that book too. And my brother, Jonathan Evans, and it's all, it's all right there. Awesome. I will include that in the show notes as well. And y'all, what I'd like you to do, just like I try to recommend with every episode is to share a takeaway, share, take a screenshot, tag Dr. Evans, tag Anthony, tag like the book's website with a takeaway. Maybe it was something that that Dr. Evans said about, about faith, maybe it was something that Anthony said about being the emotional guy and, and how he navigates that, whatever it was. Like there were so many nuggets in here with, with everything that was shared on family, on grief, on, on unity, on faith, on belief, on God, like everything. There was so much. So take a screenshot, tag them, tag myself. We'd love to hear your feedback. And uh, we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.